1: Hello and welcome to Vitality Radio. I'm your host each and every week. My name is Jared St. Clair, and I promised you this show last Wednesday, if you didn't hear my show last Wednesday, I would say they're kind of related, but because I went a little longer than I anticipated last show, I got a little bit ranty, uh, I decided to hold this show for this week partly because I wanted to do just a little more research on the numbers as well, and I wanted to really lay this out for you. This is basically, uh, what is this, a public service announcement that you'll never get from media or the government, even though everything that I have documented for this episode Uh, originates from actual studies that have been done and published in major medical journals, such as the Journal of American Medicine and the uh, New England Journal of Medicine and so on, Lancet and a few others. So the information is valid. The government knows about it. The pharmaceutical companies know about it. I don't know if doctors know about it because they'd have to go and look for it and maybe they're not doing that. But you as a patient, or at least potential patient of a doctor, need to know about this. So we're going to talk about something called direct-to-consumer advertising today on Vitality Radio. I'm going to go through the specifics of what it is, although I think you kind of know what it is, and why it's there, how it works, and why it is banned in all but two countries in this entire world of ours. So that's what we're going to talk about. Uh, Before we do, I'll remind you that if you have questions about anything you hear on this show or any other episode of Vitality Radio, call us 801-292-6662. That's 801-292-6662. You can also check us out online at vitalitynutrition.com. Okay, so direct-to-consumer advertising and how pharma, to a large degree, gets to control the narrative because of it. So we saw this during COVID a lot, and I hesitate to even say the words. See the word that starts with C and ends with VID uh, because it, uh, you know, I'll get some stupid little uh, blue thing up on warning thing on Spotify saying, you know, that this has. If, if you want more information from the real purveyors of non-misinformation, you've got to go to the CDC website. Of course, hopefully, you know by now that they are the ultimate purveyors of misinformation, but at least that's just my opinion. But regardless, I said it, and so let's carry on. Uh, during that time, we saw a tremendous amount of control uh, exerted by government agencies, uh, the President of the United States himself, and also pharmaceutical companies. And it was just a massive download of constant, a barrage of propaganda regarding what they wanted you to see and do and believe, uh, as opposed to, you know, both sides of the story. Well, why is it that uh, news organizations like Fox News, like MSNBC, CNN, KSL here locally in Utah was incredible uh, during this time, both online as well as on TV and radio. Why is it that they were just all you know lining up and doing what the pharmaceutical companies and the CDC and the FDA were telling them to do? Well, there's some interesting stuff that we have to recognize. And the first thing would be that the FDA gets 61 to 70 percent of its funding from pharma. Almost all of its money comes from pharma companies that it is supposed to be regulating. Now, if that's not a conflict of interest, I don't know what is. One of the things I always try and tell people, especially if you're new to the show and you haven't heard Vitality Radio before, is that I have a conflict of interest, a very powerful one, frankly. I am a guy who talks about health and nutrition and supplements and have kind of carved out a little niche for myself in this podcasting landscape helping people understand how to use supplements that I sell. Okay, so full disclosure, massive conflict of interest there, which is why I try really, really hard to dig into the best experts that I can find, get the information from them, to look into the research as much as I can and make sure I'm presenting to you as fair, uh, fairly as I can, the information that I have. But absolutely with no qualms with anybody telling me that, you know, I have a conflict of interest. I do. Well, what about a conflict of interest between government agencies and pharmaceutical companies, which they, I mean, am I wrong in thinking that it looked during the pandemic like CDC was and FDA were holding hands with Pfizer and AstraZeneca at first until that didn't get approved here, but got approved all over the world. And Moderna and J&J as they were manufacturing this rush job for these uh, jabs that they were wanting to give people. Weren't they just like hand in hand running through the flowers with big smiles on their faces? Well, it it is that type of a scenario. We know that many executives, a high percentage of executives at pharma companies once worked in government ag- health agencies and vice versa. That's been clear for years, and we know that. But also, you know, up to 70% of FDA's funding comes from pharma. But not only that, 75% of news shows are funded by pharma, of evening news shows are funded by pharmaceutical companies. So when you're watching any of those shows at night, if you're still doing that, and if you are, If you're watching NBC, if you're watching CNN, you're watching Fox News, you're watching, uh, you know, the local KSL news or, um, you know, your NBC affiliate wherever you're at. If you're not here in Utah and most of you aren't, whatever you're watching on the news at night, I'm just going to say this. Turn it off. That's what I'm going to say. You'll notice I mentioned Fox and MSNBC. I don't really care if you're conservative or if you're liberal or somewhere in the middle. That's not what this show is about. This show is about what you're being made to believe that simply isn't true. And I'm going to prove that as I finish up talking about these direct-to-consumer ads. There are better ways to get your news, far, far better ways, and you can still find conservative Independent media, and you can still find liberal independent media, and you can try to find balanced independent media. It's a little harder, I think. But at least if you're getting it with the independent media, maybe they're taking sponsorship money from some supplement company. Maybe they're getting sponsorship money from uh, Apple. Maybe they're getting sponsorship money from Walmart. Maybe they're getting sponsorship money from whoever's sponsoring these shows, right? I don't, it doesn't matter. But it does matter that it's not coming from pharmaceutical companies. And this is why. Because we know that pharmaceutical companies are as corrupt as any companies in the world. And that is proven by even their buddies, the ones they were holding hands with and running through the flowers (laughs) during COVID, that they have been fined by those guys more than any other group of corporations in America. By far for criminal activity, for criminal activity. So they can't be trusted. And if they're paying 75% of their money, uh, of uh, Fox's money and MSNBC's nightly news money and all this stuff, if they're paying 75% of the bill, do you think that they're going to turn on them? You know, uh, eat the goose that lays the golden eggs, for instance? I don't think so. And uh, you saw, especially on the CNN and MSNBCs of the world, um, a heavy, heavy push for certain pharmaceuticals over the last few years. So turn it off, go find something else. It doesn't have to be Vitality Radio, although I'd love for you to stay here with me as well. Um, But find some independent media and use that independent media because that's where the truth is much more likely to lie. Okay, so Here's what's going on right now. There are There's a huge shift happening with direct-to-consumer advertising. First, let's talk about what it is. It's very simple. It's an ad in a magazine. It's an ad that pops up on your Facebook feed or your excuse me, Instagram. It's a television ad. It's a radio ad. It's anything that's going direct to you, the consumer, as opposed to a doctor that then might tell you about it having to do with a pharmaceutical or a pharmaceutical device or a pharmaceutical treatment of some sort. Um, that is something that became legal in 1997 in this country. So we're, you know, 25, 26 years into this. And uh, it's only legal here and in New Zealand. It's illegal everywhere else. Um, what, for what I think are obvious reasons, the reason, oh, oh, and this is important to understand, I'm not talking about ads for Tylenol or ibuprofen or Aleve I'm talking about ads for not over-the-counter but prescription medications, okay? These are things that, for quite obvious reasons, are deemed, I guess, dangerous enough that they need to be prescribed by a doctor as opposed to you just making up your mind and going and picking them up at the grocery store or the drugstore. Not to say that over the counter drugs aren't also dangerous. They are. But uh, these ones are, you know, even have a higher level of risk and maybe a higher level of precision with which they must be prescribed or whatever you want to, however you want to look at it. The point is, if you, the consumer, says, oh, here's this new amazing drug uh, with all these happy people on this bright, beautiful day feeling amazing because they're taking this drug, um, and I have some symptoms that, are reminiscent of what they're talking about in this ad, then I'm going to go to my doctor and say, hey, tell me about this drug. I think I'd like to try it. Well, that's how direct consumer advertising for pharmaceuticals works. And we're going to dive into how it really works and how well it really pays here in just a moment. And I hope that you're as shocked as I once was when I first started reading some of these details. One of the big shifts is you're going to see it more and more on social media, more and more advertising on social media. They're increasing their spin dramatically. So you're going to see more and more drug ads on everywhere from TikTok to Instagram to Twitter and everywhere in between. Okay. So you'll keep your eyes peeled because those ads are there, but they love the TV ads. They love the TV ads because they can paint such a beautiful picture of how amazing their drug is and make it look fantastic with this that real small fine print and the real rapid voice uh, telling you how dangerous it is, you know, towards the tail end. We've all seen the ads, right? But let's just talk about how much money is spent on this. The average television vision viewer in the United States watches as many as nine drug ads per day. Now, if you're watching that much TV, that's another thing you might want to consider stopping. But whatever, nine drug advertisements today, I will say this, if you're watching daytime TV for an hour, you've seen nine drug advertisements. If you're watching nighttime news, you've seen nine drug advertisements. My gosh, they're all over the place. Um, that is if you're you know not streaming commercial free. And maybe you should do that and just don't pay these guys anything. Uh, you know, or don't let them pay uh, the media outlets uh, to advertise this stuff. But that's another story for another day. Uh, there's 16 hours total on average that American citizens see of drug advertisements? 16 hours per year. That's a pretty crazy number to me. That far exceeds the time an average individual spends with his or her primary care physician. Yeah, does it not? How how much time do you get with your doctor? Is it 16 hours a year? Is it six? Is it 60 minutes? It's probably less than that. So far exceeding what you get with your doctor you're being educated on pharmaceuticals by pharmaceutical companies not by physicians. Since 2012 spending on drug commercials has increased by 62%. Just since 2012 the last 10-11 years and over 10 billion was spent on drug commercials just last year. 10 billion dollars. In America, okay? That's just America. That's a lot of money. Almost every country in the world bans direct-to-consumer ads, as I mentioned. Uh, but years ago, uh, in the U.S., drug ads were directly—or um, sorry, years ago in the U.S., drug ads were directed primarily at doctors. But in 1997, the FDA, the FDA, um, eased restrictions to allow pharmaceutical companies to advertise directly to consumers. That's the same FDA that pharmaceutical pharmaceutical companies, I'm sorry, pay 61% of the bill over there or up to 70%, depending on where you read. With those restraints lifted, as I said, the drug spending or drug advertising spending has gone all the way up to $10 billion per year. The question is, do the drug ads work? Because when I see a drug ad, in fact, it's really funny. I've got my 10-year-old little guy, Xander, and uh, he, I hope I'm not making him too jaded for a 10-year-old. But I do tell him the truth about what we see on billboards, what we see on TV. And whenever a drug ad comes on, we like to watch Lego Masters. And Lego Masters, unfortunately, is not uh, not commercial-free. So sometimes we have to watch some commercials with it. Sometimes we also watch Shark Tank. So when we're together, if we're going to watch TV, which we don't do much of, uh, but when we do, those are the two shows that we watch and drug ads come on every single time. And every single time he says, dad, why would anybody want to take this stuff? Listen to all the stuff it does. And then he'll recite (laughs) what they tell you these drugs can do to you from a side effect standpoint. So when I see him and when Xander sees them, uh, we look at ourselves like, what? Yeah, we don't want that but apparently we're not typical, I guess, because these ads do work. How well do they work? Well, let's talk about some numbers. A cross-sectional survey compared prescribing decisions of 38 U.S. and 40 Canadian physicians for about 1,431 patients. Pretty small study, but it's interesting. I couldn't find the bigger one that I've seen, but there have been multiple studies done on this. But you've got 78 doctors and 1,431 patients in US and Canada. And it's interesting that half these doctors are in Canada because Canada does have a ban on direct consumer advertising for drugs. But this was in Vancouver, British Columbia, which is right across the border. So our ads in America are influencing Canadian doctors as well. How much are they influencing? Well, most physicians... Fulfilled requests for direct-to-consumer advertised medications. In the United States, that was 78% of requests. So if you are watching the TV and an ad for Cymbalta comes on and you go to your doctor in America, according to this study, and say, I want Cymbalta, 78% of the time he'll give it to you. 78% of the time. That means that he is putting the prescription pad in your hand and saying, write your own prescription almost eight out of 10 times. Does that sound like the way that prescription drugs are meant to be prescribed? In Canada, it was a little better, 72%. So seven out of 10 wrote their own prescription, went to their doctor. Doctors have said that they feel pressured. And I say, so what? That's what I say. Because if I take my Ram truck, into the garage and i say hey and and okay keep in mind i know nothing about vehicles okay because i know how to drive them but fixing them that's way above my pay grade so i go to a, a mechanic and i love my mechanic he's absolutely fantastic they are i love these guys super trustworthy i've stuck with them for years and i'll always stick with them as long as they're in business and close enough to me to do this so i go up there to paul's auto in syracuse utah And I talk to Travis and I say, Travis, I've got my Ram truck and it needs brakes. And he says, Okay, we're going to put these brakes on them. This is the brand. This is the price. And I say, no, I want these brakes. And he says, well, those brakes are the wrong size for your truck. And I say, well, I want these brakes. I saw an ad for these brakes. It says that they're great. It says they're the best brakes on the market and that they'll work really, really well. Yeah, well, but they're not the right brakes for your truck, Jared. And you say, okay, I get it, Travis, but I'm convinced based on this ad that these are the best brakes and I want to try them. Well, what's he going to say? Is he going to feel pressured and put the wrong brakes on my truck? I don't think so. He's probably going to say, Jared, if that's what you want to do, you got to go to a different mechanic to do it. I can't do that. It's not safe. Yeah, it's not safe, Jared. Jared. Well, shouldn't a doctor be doing that? Shouldn't a doctor be saying, well, I don't think that's the right drug for you. Well, yeah, doc, but I really, I want that drug because in the commercial, the people looked really, really happy when they were using this drug and I'm feeling not so great. So hook me up, doc. And 78% of the time, the doctor said, well, I felt pressured. So I did it. I mean, what are these people? How do you get through medical school if you can't deal with a little bit of pressure? How do you get through residency? Give me a break. Give me an absolute massive break because that's disgusting, in my opinion. And I don't think I'm alone on that. How do you feel about it? Let me know. Jump in on uh, Facebook or Instagram and let me know or give us a call at 801-292-6662 and let me know how you feel about that because I think it's disgusting. So here's the thing, though. What if, what if, You don't even need a prescription for anything, let alone that prescription. What if the doctor looks at all the things, you know, your test results and listens to your symptoms or whatever, and in his medical opinion, he doesn't think you need a drug. Well, if you go in there asking for one, you are two times more likely to get a drug because you asked for a direct-to-consumer marketed drug, even if it's not the drug that you asked for. You're two times more likely to get one than not to get one because you asked. So you don't ask. You go in, you get all the same information from your doctor. You're half as likely to get a drug. So these ads, not only do 78% of the time they sell the product, not only that, but twice as often you're going to walk out with a prescription for something when you went asking for that drug. So yeah, it's great for business. Really, really great. So the second question, now that we know how good for business it is, is do they actually improve your health? Because if they improve your health, then direct-to-consumer ads are great, right? Fantastic. I, I have no problem with advertising. A chunk of what I do on this show is advertising for things that I sell. Advertising's great. It's what gets the message out there. But we're not advertising T-shirts. We're advertising pharmaceutical medicines that we know have a fairly high rate of side effects based on their prescription status. So the question again, do they actually improve patient health? Well, that's far less clear. Researchers from Johns Hopkins University recently published an article in JAMA, the Journal of American Medicine, It's kind of the biggest dog of the big dogs. They studied drug characteristics and total advertising expenditures for the 150 top-selling branded prescription drugs in the United States. So they studied the characteristics of the drug and the total amount spent for the top 150 prescription drugs, finding that total promotional spending by the manufacturer was associated with a significantly lower added clinical benefit for the drug. In fact, companies spent nearly 15% more on direct-to-consumer advertised drugs that had demonstrated lower added benefit than they did on drugs that demonstrated higher benefit. Even more troubling, each 1.5% increase in spending was associated with a 10% increase in sales. Listen to that number, because that is music to an advertiser's ear. Even more troubling, each 1.5% increase in spending was associated with a 10% increase in sales. That's money in the bank, man. You add 1.5%, you get 10% return. That's as good as you can do. That's amazing. Simply put, pharmaceutical companies spent more money on direct-to-consumer advertising when medical research found that the drug was less effective And this spending directly led to more sales for those inferior drugs. In fact, what they found was the most effective drugs in the specific categories got the least amount of advertising. Why? Because those are the drugs doctors are actually having success with with their patients. They prescribe them anyway. They don't need to be influenced. Are you picking up what I'm putting down here? It's incredible. It's incredibly scary. Time Magazine ran an article just a few months ago. This brings us to the key question they said, how should prescribing decisions be made? We argue that this important decision should be based on shared decision making, considering goals that are agreed upon between the provider and the patient. The provider should use their medical knowledge and training to recommend an option that aligns with the patient's values. direct consumer advertising only seems to bias these important conversations, erode the patient-provider relationship, and ultimately harm patient outcomes. And I could not agree more. And I will say this there are very, 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 very few times that I could say that about anything written in Time magazine. So even Time magazine speaking out. And of course, the FDA doesn't care. They're getting all their money from pharma. They're the ones that loosened up the regulations to allow direct consumer advertising in the first place. And every once in a while, they look around at it and say, well, you know, maybe we should make some changes. And they may even tweak a few things. But they don't do anything. And they, and they won't unless there's massive um, complaining from you, uh, the patient. So FDA doesn't care, but guess who does care? Because I just told you Time Magazine cares. That's kind of interesting. I'm sure they take drug money, so I don't know how they got away with writing that article. Maybe the editors missed one. I don't know. But the American Medical Association, the AMA, they've got issues with it. They say the routine use of direct consumer advertising and its adverse effects resulted in the AMA... Or sorry, this is the article resulted in the AMA taking a stand against this type of advertising. The AMA was concerned that a growing proliferation of ads is driving demand for expensive treatments despite the clinical effectiveness of less costly alternatives. That's another layer to this story because what they're finding is that people are spending more money on these types of drugs, getting less results because of the money that is being spent to market these drugs. The AMA's stance is representative of the growing skepticism surrounding DTCA, direct-to-consumer advertising, in the medical community. If the largest association of physicians in the country is voicing its concerns about this practice, why do pharmaceutical companies continue to use direct-to-consumer advertising? Well, your guess is as good as mine. Why would they continue to do it, even though the American Medical Association says you should stop? Well, they continue to do it because it makes them a boatload of money. So much money. The return on investment is fantastic. Every 1.5% increase yields a 10% increase in sales on a drug that probably doesn't work as well as another option would have worked. These companies use direct-to-consumer advertising to promote prescription drugs because it increases the volume of drugs sold. Simple as that. A 2008 House Commerce Committee found that for every $1,000 spent on prescription drug ads, 24 new patients were added to the pharma industry. For every $1,000, they get 24 new customers. That's incredible. I would spend $1,000 every single day at Vitality Nutrition if I could get 24 new customers with it. Every single day. It would pay for itself. It would be amazing. I would be so, so, so rich. So of course they're not going to stop. But not only that, additionally, a a 2003 research report found that rates for prescription drugs with ads were almost 7 times greater than for those without ads. The ads simply work. Are pharma companies telling patients about new and better drugs or just new and more expensive drugs? That's the next question. A study assessed 73 of the most heavily advertised drugs in the US between 2015 and 2021 and each drug had been rated by at least one independent health agency. Researchers tallied how many of these drugs received a high therapeutic value rating indicating that a drug had at least a moderate advantage compared with previously available treatments. The result? Only about one in four of these heavily advertised drugs had high therapeutic value. One in four. During the six years of the study, pharmaceutical companies spent an estimated $15.9 billion promoting drugs on TV that showed no major advantage over less costly drugs. So it's not just that they're prescribing drugs that aren't as good because those drugs aren't selling and they need to sell their inventory. It is that they're also prescribing or selling drugs to you, direct to you as a consumer, that aren't as effective, but also cost more money. Because why? It's called capitalism, and I love capitalism. I'm a big fan of the free market, but we're talking about prescription drugs, and we're talking about one of the leading causes of death in America. But I'm not done. As the guy on TV late night on that little infomercial says, but wait, there's more. Pharma companies don't even have to approve their ads with FDA before publishing them. Yeah. They just put the ad out and then the FDA, they have to send it to the FDA when they start running it. Not in advance, not for approval. In fact, on the back of my bottles of of vitamins, it does say, I'm going to read it. These statements have not been evaluated by the FDA. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. That's a lie. I have to have that on every bottle. You've seen it on the bottles of pills that you take. You don't see that on drugs. Because they are evaluated by the FDA in a different way than supplements are. In fact, they have to be approved by the FDA in a different way than supplements do. But this is interesting. A pharmaceutical company can advertise the product before they approve the ad by the FDA. So they can be telling you whatever they want, you know, within reason, depending on whose reason you're looking at here. (laughs) They can tell you kind of what they want. If FDA says they don't like it, then how long do you think it takes for that ad to be revoked and them to tweak it and put it back out out on the air? I couldn't find that data, but I'm guessing it's weeks or months. FDA is not fast at all. So by the time they fix the ad, a lot of the damage is already done. So, we have a real problem here. But I don't just want to talk about direct consumer advertising. I also want to talk about this thing called a double standard. You've heard of it. The double standard, it's a classic, and it is so, so apparent in FDA and its dealings with supplement companies and FDA and its dealings with pharma companies who are, of course, fully in the pocket of FDA. Because if a drug is approved, there has to be research on that drug. Then they can make what are called drug claims, right? And they can basically tell you exactly what's in the research. But did you know that if there's similar research done on a natural product, double-blind, placebo-controlled, you know, good research, like the research that's been done on a certain type of ashwagandha that says that it can decrease your blood cortisol levels by 25%. Well, the herb company can't tell you that at all under any circumstance. They just can't say that because it's not a drug, even though they have evidence. It's not a drug, so they can't make a drug claim, even though It works, and they can prove it. Did you know that tart cherry juice, a food with, as far as I can tell, no side effects unless you drink a quart of it and might get a little diarrhea, that has clinical evidence that it relieves gout pain and excellent evidence that it can help with sleep and also as an anti-inflammatory. But tart cherry companies can't say that. They can't call it an anti-inflammatory. They have clinical proof. They can show it. They can prove that it has melatonin in it naturally occurring and that that can help you to sleep. And they can prove that it helps to relieve gout by clearing out uric acid. They can prove all of that stuff and they can't tell you that at all because it's not a drug. In fact, they can go direct to consumer. They can say, hey, buy our tart cherry juice. It's like really good for you but they can't tell you why it's good for you. Not in so many words. About the strongest claim they can make on tart cherry juice is that it helps to promote normal sleep, maybe. That's iffy, even. They can say that it helps um, to maintain healthy joints. So if you've got gout, would you consider it a healthy joint at that point? Or would you consider it a joint with a problem? So if you're a consumer and you're uneducated on this stuff and you're reading about tart cherry or you're seeing an ad on TV and it helps helps to maintain healthy joints, are you thinking, oh, that'll help my gout? Well, probably not, right? Unless you heard about it on a podcast or read about it somewhere. Colloidal silver has dozens of studies proving it can cure malaria of all things and a whole bunch of other infections. But companies can't tell you that. They can't hardly say anything about colloidal silver. They've clamped down hard on that. Why? Well, I think it's because it's competition for antibiotics, but that's just my opinion. But they can't tell you that. Omega-3 is well-researched and has been shown that it is undisputed as a natural anti-inflammatory medicine. It's a required element in the human body, but no brand can call omega-3 an anti-inflammatory not legally, unless it's an omega-3 that has been turned into a prescription drug, then they can Even though it's the same stuff that's sold over the counter, again, a pretty strong double standard. Let's talk about some of the claims that can't be made. These are claims that are illegal claims for supplements. Headache. Antibiotic. Think colloidal silver, which is a proven antibiotic, but can't be said by the companies that manufacture it. Anti-inflammatory. Do you know how much research there is on turmeric and curcumin for inflammation? So much research. It's clinically proven all over the place in multiple different countries, in all kinds of double-blind placebo-controlled studies in both animals and humans. They can't call it an anti-inflammatory. You also can't uh, say that uh, beta sitosterol or saw palmetto would help with prostate inflammation or enlarged prostate, even though there are studies that show that it does help with that. There are three amino acids that have shown to help with that as well. They can't say that, even though that study is in the Journal of American Medicine. Uh, you can't say that something promotes low blood pressure, in other words, reduces high blood pressure, even though we have evidence, clinical evidence, that garlic can and cayenne can and uh, nitric oxide from arginine and citrulline can and berberine. Berberine has been proven clinically to be as effective as lisinopril, the number one selling high blood pressure medicine, but you can't say that it reduces blood pressure. You can't say that it treats hypertension. You can't say that it promotes low blood pressure. You can't say any of that. Because it's not a drug. And so on and so on and so on and so on, even though there's evidence aplenty amongst many of those things. And then you think, well, as a consumer, well, why don't herb companies and vitamin companies spend a bunch of money proving that their stuff works? They'd sell more of it if they had evidence. Well, no, because they can't share the evidence. So when it's all said and done. Pharma has every motivation in the world to get a product approved, even if it doesn't work very well. Because even if it doesn't work very well, they get it approved, they do direct-to-consumer advertising, 78% of doctors then prescribe it, and for every 1.5% more they spend, they get 10% more sales. Okay? So pharma has all the motivation that they could possibly need, And they can share all of the data or at least the data they choose not to share stays behind the curtain, you know, like what they did with Vioxx when they neglected for 10 years to tell anybody that it caused heart disease. Oh, whoops. Yeah, whoops. Oh, well, it's only hundreds of thousands, perhaps millions of people that died from that. The point is all of the motivation is on the drug companies to get as many new drugs out as possible. They can patent them. They can sell them for massive amounts of money and they can market them direct to your consumer and your wussy doctor who feels super pressured, 78% of them anyway, will hand it over to you. Hand you over that prescription pad and say, why don't you write your own prescription? I'll sign it. That's essentially what's happening. But supplement companies, food companies even, they can't make such claims. So it thwarts the financial motivation that the free market thrives on to develop better supplements that work better, that have better clinical evidence, because you can't say anything about them once you've developed them. And it puts a massive amount of money in pharmaceutical companies' pockets at the same time as taking money out of the consumer pocket. And putting the boot to the competition, which can't make such claims because the playing field is so incredibly uneven. The system is indeed rigged in the favor of pharma companies and the government agencies that they pay to regulate them. When it comes to pharma drugs, it is indeed buyer beware, especially because your physician is 80% more likely to let you prescribe your own drugs, once you've seen them advertised on TV. I hope this was helpful. It's a long rant. I rambled a little bit, I know, but I think that this matters a lot. It matters so much because you, as the consumer, need to be aware that A, the drug companies simply don't give one damn about your health. So don't believe their marketing hype. Let your doctor be a doctor. Don't pressure him or her. Not that your doctor should succumb to such pressure, but whatever. Don't pressure him or her. Let them doctor. And then be your own advocate. Educate yourself. And if they ever try to give you a pharmaceutical, do your own research before you decide if you're going to fulfill that prescription. I'm not your doctor. I'm not a doctor. I don't even pretend to be a doctor, nor do I want to be a doctor. This is not medical advice. This is me raising a big, big red flag saying, whoa, buyer beware. Thank you so much for listening to me. My name is Jared St. Clair, and this has been Vitality Radio.
0: don't forget to follow us at vitality radio on instagram twitter and facebook please let us know your thoughts about this episode by using the hashtag vitality radio podcast and if you like what you hear go tell somebody with a share a screenshot or an airdrop thank you